Welcome to Better by Great Place to Work, the podcast that helps companies become a great place to work for all because it's better for people, better for business, and better for the world. I'm Christopher Tkachuk, the Chief Content Officer at Great Place to Work. Each week, we meet with great leaders who have helped their companies become better workplaces by focusing on their best asset, their people, who in turn help their organizations become more successful. Support for Better comes from Genentech, a global leader in biotech and medicine and continues to be a longtime winner on Fortune's annual list of the 100 best companies to work for. Today we are with Franz Johansson, founder of the Medici Group. Franz is a very noted speaker and best-selling author of The Medici Effect, as well as The Click Moment. He's also the founder of a consulting firm called The Medici Group. Franz, welcome. Thank you very much. For our listeners on the podcast, we are at the Great Place to Work for All Summit 2019 in San Francisco at the Hilton downtown. The topic or theme of this year's summit is innovation by all. Friends, you you are traveling constantly, uh, meeting with business leaders, executives, teams of people, um, speaking to them about innovation. What is the the topic of conversation around culture when it and how it's tied to innovation? What are you seeing right now? Yeah, I'm actually seeing an interesting shift. If I if I had these conversations five maybe ten years ago, there'd been quite a bit of focus on you know what's the what's the new strategy or or what's the new product, the killer product, or or what's the new service that we need to unveil. Although that still exists and and that that obviously still happens. There's something else going on as well, which is that I am noticing executives, CEOs, asking the following question. Look, is, is the world around us, is the world outside of our company changing faster than we are? Because if it is, then ultimately we're doomed. And usually the, their suspicion is that indeed it is changing faster than them. And so now the question becomes, how do we as an entity, as an organization, become faster? In other words, it's, it's not about a specific idea or specific product as much as it is about a, 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 an ability to have your organization adapt, move faster, be more innovative, no matter what those products or strategies are. It, you're going to have to keep on coming up with them. There's not going to be one thing that solves all the issues that you're facing. And that's a, that's a shift. And, and I find it interesting and encouraging that the, that the Great Place to Work Summit is talking about innovation for all, because it is my belief that if a company wants to get to that place where they are a, an adaptable organism, essentially, then everybody has to be part of that organism. Everybody has to do their piece to it. It's just they're not sure what to do. Are you advising these leaders to say, you know, here are ways that you can inspire your employees to participate, at least to have an interest in uh, focusing on the success of the organization through innovation? Oh, of course. I, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways in which one can sort of start tackling this. And I will say that, that every organization has its own unique tackling point. I mean, they will have their own history, uh, traditions, norms that sort of informs how is, what is the best way to start sort of start or continue this type of journey. And uh, let me give an example. Right? I, I, I might be talking to uh, uh, an executive that says, innovation is more critical than ever. The only issue is we've been saying that for 15 years and not being able to really deliver on it. So 
So it may not be advisable to instantly start that piece of the journey saying, okay, another innovation effort, for instance. That might actually do the opposite. People are just going to be uh, more distraught around that. Instead, the ultimate piece that we're advising is it's about the mindset, about a different way of thinking about innovation. We believe uh, within the Medici Group and through the books that I've written and the research that I've done that it is diversity and inclusion that is the core driving engine of innovation. It's a new innovation model. It's a new way of thinking about it. And at the heart of it, at the center of it, are the diverse perspectives, diverse networks, diverse experiences that a team brings to the table. And so that's where we suggest that, that companies start. But it's a long, it's, you know, it goes way beyond just having that sort of insight. You actually have to have that insight, not at an intellectual level, because that, it's fairly easy to grasp that concept. It's at an emotional, at an intuitive level where it starts to really make a difference. And so I see as my first task to inspire a group of executives so that they on an emotional level can feel that this matters, that this, this holds true. And then we can start talking about, well, what are the specific steps you can take to actually make it happen? One of the things that I've heard time and time again when I've interviewed different executives, especially the heads of, of HR at major corporations, is that it's sometimes difficult for the HR leader to get a seat at the executive table uh-huh. <laughs> um, and to be able to have the ability to convince top leadership that culture is something they need to be focusing on. And so when we've now seen more companies of many different sizes, not just Fortune 500 companies, but small companies are putting that chief title in the, you know, to create the CHRO title and put, giving them that seat at the table. Have you gone and spoken to a company and found out that they don't really have that focus on culture and then later they've responded in a very positive way and then, you know, sort of you were able to change their minds, basically, uh, what I'm asking. Actually, that's one of my favorite, that's one of my favorite tasks. It is frequently so that there is a feeling that a company's at a particular point, a pivot point, but they are not all the way there. And so somebody might bring me in, and it could be, it could be a head of HR, uh, it could be a chief diversity officer. It could be another executive. But that may not even actually be in, might be another business leader that feels the culture is very important. They just, they, they're just being um, sort of kind of stressed out about the fact that the rest of the organization hasn't caught on to that. But they need the rest of the executive team to buy into this. And how do you do that? More reports, more research studies. I mean, they all say the same thing, which is that cult- essentially culture eats strategy for breakfast. This is, the, this is the statement that sort of is being repeated over and over and over again. But, but that's not going to carry over the finish line. And that's usually where I come in. It's a question of can you in the matter of an hour, can you in a matter of a couple of hours, completely reorient an executive team. So they are thinking completely differently about this issue. And that's essentially what I see as my specialty because – Unless you do that step, unless you make that step happen, the rest of them are going to be really suffering. In fact, we were just in a, a conversation yesterday with, uh, with the chief diversity officer, and she, she moved heaven and earth to make sure that I was able to have a half day with the CEO and sort of his top 50 executives. He's one of the largest brokerage companies in the, uh, on the planet, really. And... Uh, and it took a long time to get there because the easy thing to do would be to come in and maybe do a workshop here or a little training there or, or something. But it wouldn't move the needle. This will absolutely move the needle because the executive team can now 
be aligned as to a new way of thinking about innovation and growth. Mm-hmm. Can you say the name of the company? Nope. Nope. Right. That's fine. <laughs> Not yet. You've given me a few ideas already. <laughs> so uh, can you give me an example of a company that you can mention the name of that you have seen a major cultural transformation in? Many of them. In fact, I am here at this conference uh, thanks to Margaret Keene, who's the CEO of Synchrony. And we worked with them over several years to... She had a charge. She had a specific ask. Look, we need to become bolder. We need to become faster. We need to become more innovative. Uh, there's the, there was a desire through the, the, the executive team and throughout the company, really, that, that, that there was a need to do that. But how? So we had a... It started in the same way I talked about here. It was a catalyzing event. I gave a, I gave a, a keynote at actually at a diversity summit. That is unusual. You know, you might imagine it could be a strategy summit or an innovation summit or something like that, but this is a diversity summit. But everybody got it right away, and we said, look, how can we start a, a multi-year journey to, to ensure that your executives not just can adopt a new mindset, but adopt new behaviors? And it, within that, what does that mean? It means how do you put together more diverse teams? How do you break down silos between different functions? How do you move faster? Like, how do you get out of this space where you have to project everything out 12 months, 18 months, and instead think one month? What can I do within one month? We have a concept called the smallest executable step, an SES, which means that anytime you get an idea, instead of, instead of making it as big as possible, which is going to involve sometimes hundreds of pages of PowerPoints and backup slides, et cetera, you make it as small as possible, and you look at what can I execute within that. So these are the type of behaviors that really uh, was able to uh, take hold. And I think they, it's, it's hard to make a dent in a company of that size, but those dents have been lasting. And, uh, and, and you can see how they think about this now when they're going after uh, new areas of growth. Mm-hmm. I think Synchrony is a really interesting story because if you think about how it was split off from, from GE, which yes. you know, is one of the largest, uh, most successful companies uh, over the past 100 years, and it had that sort of institutional culture already built in and then having to like basically rethink the entire sort of structure. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a huge challenge. Yeah, and, and credit to Margaret. Wow. She, she thinks about culture a lot. And it was important to her that what got them to this particular place, they've been within GE, was one set of things. But now that they were, now Synchronous is his own standalone company, something else is needed. You come back, you can look at the, the interviews or... Or, or when, she's, when she talks about this, she's always believed that the answer to what happens next, yes, part of it has to do with strategy, part has to do with some of these other elements, but culture's at the core and center of it. And you know, that has informed those type of choices. I, I believe we're seeing the impact with the, with the G that sort of stuck around. You know, the, right. they, um, they've struggled. Possibly the, the best thing that could have happened was that they got spun out of G. Right. Um, so, as we were talking about innovation earlier, innovation by all specifically, you know, what is the biggest uh, roadblock or bump in the road for achieving that innovation by all for companies? I believe that there are a couple of things. The first one, really, the, the one that is perhaps the most, the, the one that weighs the heaviest, is that within a company, there has to be a real logical rationale for every move that you make. So you have to be able to explain it. And where does this explanation come from? What is a good explanation? It's usually something that you've seen work in the past. 
It might be something that feels logical, but it's, it's just a, a, a function of some numbers that you ran on a spreadsheet. Innovation itself is about how do you step away from these things? How do you step away from those things that are completely rational and logical, at least on the face of it? I mean, after fact, it makes sense that uh, a, a, a company that hits a new growth curve, that what they did you know, was, was logical. But, but beforehand, it might not seem that way. So I'll give you an example. Today, something like Uber makes sense. We have to remember, though, that for decades, everybody essentially were taught from their parents, do not step into a stranger's car. Like, do not step into a stranger's car. And now, we, the entire, that's the entire business model is that you get into a stranger's right. car. Or don't invite strangers to your house. The entire business model of Airbnb is to invite strangers to your house. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that we start putting these constraints on ourselves as to what it is that we're good at, what else we need to focus on. And, and you can see this very clearly in companies because they will start to silo themselves. They will start to create very defined structures and keeping expert groups apart. So the hardest part to overcome is not to break that down. How do you create what I call the Medici effect? It's this sort of this explosion of ideas by bringing together different, different divisions, different industries, different cultures. How do you do that within a corporate setting when for decades the entire mantra has been specialization, expertise, logic? This podcast is brought to you by Genentech a biotechnology company dedicated to the rigorous pursuit of science and the discovery and development of breakthrough medicines for people with serious diseases. Recognized as one of Fortune's 100 best companies to work for for more than two decades, Genentech cultivates an environment where scientific innovation thrives and where each person feels valued, included, and able to contribute their best for patients. Learn more at gene.com. When we talk about disruption and disruptors, specifically talking about companies like Airbnb or Uber and Lyft, we think about how it's disrupting or disrupting the industry or, dis or disrupting a, um, a business model, right? When it's beyond, it's more than that. It's not just business. It's dis it's disrupting the, uh, the, the the social behaviors of of everybody around the world. It's you know it's it's truly a disruption, which is why innovation is so important because it allows companies to rethink the way that we think about the world, right? Not just the way we do business or the way we consume products or whatever. When you're talking to companies that are aiming to become disruptors, what is it that you think fuels their innovation every single day? Not just coming up with a new one product and having a huge, being a huge success, but wanting to constantly innovate. Well, there are a couple of things. I mean, one is the threat. Usually this... If this is the MO that uh, an executive team is, is going for, it's a dangerous one because by the time the threat is very clearly articulated and easy to spot, you might be in trouble. Mm. I, I believe for the great, great industry leaders that uh, have a lot of cash on hand, they might be able to get away with this. Um, but so threat drives one piece around it. I think a much more interesting piece is if you've been able to create a culture of exploring new opportunities consistently. And in order to do that, you actually need to unleash the people that work for you. So, so threat is one thing. The other one is opportunity. So somehow the companies found the ability to have their people make new unique connections inside of the enterprise. Uh, they might have new unique ideas about what they want to do. They make, might 
connections between the company and outside of the company, but then they're allowed to or enabled to pursue that in some fashion or another. Like they're able to, to take this idea and, and, and run with it, maybe in coordination with others, but they're able to do something with it. And they're doing so because they are genuinely curious about it, they're excited about it, they're passionate about it. It, it sets up a, a, a more powerful innovation dynamic. And here's, the, here's, here's ultimately the reason why. When you're under threat, you tend to, you tend to look for the most obvious escape hatch because you need results now. If you publicly traded, you got the next quarter, you got the quarter after that. By that time, you got to have to show them results. I mean, what can you do in six months? I mean, it's not that much. Opportunities, though, means that you're constantly looking for opportunities. So you're looking for them today, tomorrow, next year. They might play out in a week. They might play out in a year. They might play out in five years. But it, it, it simply sets your company up for much more interesting growth. So I want to talk more about the Medici effect. First of all, what inspired you to write the book? Well, uh, in some ways, you know, I, uh, my whole life led up to the moment when I decided to write the book. I was born in Sweden to my, uh, to my dad, who's Swedish, and to my mom, who's American. She's black and Cherokee. So it was a, it was a true mix of, of, of nations, of cultures, of, of ethnicities. And I saw through those interactions um, the possibilities of what could happen when you're, when you're combining concepts and ideas in that way. Uh, and then when I went to college, I saw the exact same thing happen, but in it, within disciplines. I studied environmental science. There were a lot of different scientific disciplines there that all came together to create new ideas. And so this, I, I carried this with me. Then I started a company, I started another company, and, and, and somewhere in the journey of the second company, I, I literally woke up one morning. I mean, I woke up one morning and I had a vision internally, a, a, uh, within my mind's eye of two light beams intersecting. And it struck me that at the intersection point, if those light beams represent cultures or industries, where those cultures and industries intersect, we come up, we should come up with not a few more ideas, but exponentially more ideas. You, you're kind of combining all the possibilities of ideas between these two fields. And it, the idea struck me like a, like a, like a brick. I, 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 was, I was unable to think about anything else for, for weeks. And eventually I decided, you know what, I'm going to start researching this. Uh, which I did. I actually went back to, I had a semester left at Harvard Business School. I left Harvard Business School to, uh, to run a company that I started. But I had a semester left. I came back and I asked one of the professors there, look, can I do an independent study? Let's research this. This might turn into a book. And uh, she said, yeah, sure. And that's indeed how the Medici Effect was born. The Medici Effect is about what happens at the intersection of different fields, cultures, industries, and so on. Just kind of like what the Medici's helped create in Florence during the Renaissance 500 years ago, bringing together people from different fields like architecture or, or, or sculpting or, or art, uh, music. You had Leonardo da Vinci, you had, you had Michelangelo, all brought them to Florence where they were, were able to sort of break down the boundaries between the different uh, fields and cultures and ignite what became the Renaissance, one of the most sort of creative eras in Europe's history. Right. And we're experiencing uh, a technological Renaissance in a way now too with all these new disruptors. So the book that you wrote, how, long, how many years ago was it? So it came out in 2004. 2004, right. So it's 15 years now. Yeah. And you sort of predicted that this was going to happen in well, a way, right? Funny story. So it came out in 2004. I mean, it, honestly, when it was published, I was like, all right, uh, my hope is that it'll get me a chance to write another book. But it took off and people really liked it. 
But here's the thing that really has blown my mind, and that is that people are seemingly more interested in it now than even when it came out. So Harvard Business School Press reissued the book about a year and a half ago. I, they basically never do that. And I asked them, well, why are we reissuing it? And they basically said, well, it's essentially more relevant now than when it came out. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and, and just last year, we had uh, two new translations. I mean, so it oh, came which, out in which, Germany yeah. and in Vietnam, and now there's discussions of, in, in other countries. And uh, I think this is for a book that's been out for 15 years. And going to China in a, in a couple of months, they're reissuing it there. Basically, what is happening is that the rest of the world, there's always been this notion of, of people that have been aligned to this set of ideas, but right now it's coming full force, full, full sort of a, like the, the energy around these set of ideas, the, the, the diversity drives innovation has exploded. And so the book itself has become a vehicle and a brand for people to, to sort of center around it. We're, we're la we've launched a, uh, a Medici Effect community, actually just went live today, this morning, of organizations all over the world that, that, that ascribe to these set of ideas. And this is, this is all sort of taking place right now. Uh, on their own. It's become sort of a viral concept. And how can someone join this group? They should send, they should go to our website at themedicygroup.com and shoot us an email. Right now we're, uh, we just opened it up, literally, I mean, it's like a couple hours ago. We have maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 organizations now as members. If your organization ascribes to the ideas that diversity drives innovation, if you ascribe to the idea that you want to break down silos to develop new innovations, uh, reach out because we're creating a whole global network around this. We already have companies from all over the world in this. So you're an inspirational leader to other leaders. Who inspires you? Who inspires me? I um, So to be honest, uh, I think my greatest inspirations come from my parents. I think back to them a lot. They were willing to, at a time when this wasn't necessarily uh, obvious, my, my mom grew up in uh, Hickory, North Carolina, so in the South. My dad was in Sweden back then. I mean, they, they, they met up and they created a relationship that was unusual at the time. And they, in the course of doing so, the way they raised me and my sister was essentially to say, look, besides study hard, which is said a lot, <laughs> but aside from that, you got to do what you love. Think about all the options and what it is that you can do and then focus in on that. And I think about that. I think about the bravery it would take for uh, my mom to to leave uh, Hickory and, and 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 go to go to go to Sweden, and and for for my dad to invite her into the to the family at that time. And I think about the adventure that they had when they when they did it. So they're probably my greatest inspiration. Nice. Now you talked about a major challenge in your life uh, already when you left Harvard to go basically starting a business, and then you uh, wrote the book. Had to get the approval to to do to write the book, right? Thinking back after the book was published, what back then was your biggest challenge? And then thinking today, what is your biggest challenge? Well, I think back then uh, my biggest challenge was really uh, understanding what I had. Like writing the book was tough, but eventually I got it done. the 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 thing was once the book came out and it became clear that people cared about these set of ideas. What did that mean for me? I hadn't really thought that far. You know, uh, people asked me to start speaking. I hadn't really done much of that. Turns out I was a great speaker. I did not know that when I started. Uh, but what do you do with this? What do you do with this energy that exists in, in society around a particular set of ideas that 
that connect to you. It was, it took me quite a while before I oriented myself around that. And so remarkably, paradoxically, um, you know, you, you, you work so hard to, to focus on a particular concept. And when it comes out, you haven't really gone much beyond that. Like what happens now? It was like a completely wide open field and figuring out what to do next wasn't obvious. Today, uh, it is very, very different. Today, I've come to realize that the company that uh, we've built with the Medici Group has the potential of changing the whole world. We're seeing a need across every organization, every, every entity. They need to move faster. They need to become more innovative. They need to break down the silos that, that exist within their, within their company. And so the challenge for me now is how do I scale this companies to actually serve all these needs? The, the, the market for this is huge. It's a very, if the first challenge was um, introspective and emotional, this challenge is uh, external and, uh, and, and driven by pure fuel energy. Mm. Which is why we're so excited to have you here at the summit is because you, this mission of helping to change the world aligns exactly with Great Place to Work's mission, which is yes. to inspire all companies to become great places to work. And I, I, love, the, I love the focus on for all. I yeah. mean, this is, the, this is what really, what it's about. It's easy to forget it, right? You I might focus on like a small group of people that are, that are doing really amazing stuff. But the reality is that even that small group of people are dependent upon a whole bunch of others. Will there be a third book? There will be, actually. Uh, I've gotten this question a lot, and I've been saying, yeah, I'm noodling it. But I'm, I'm doing more than noodling. So, uh, you know, in all my spare time, uh, <laughs> of which there's not a lot, I'm, I'm thinking about this third book. No, actually, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking to get started on it this year. So um, I'm very excited about it. it it's, it's going to be an amalgamation of uh, all, the, uh, all the insights, all the experiences that I've seen on how organizations can capitalize this new trend of the rise of diverse and inclusive teams. This is really the, the, the focus. Yeah, we we a great place to work on our research team uh, who I uh, work with on developing a lot of the thought uh, research, thought leadership papers that we publish. The first goal that we always have is we have to build the business case for culture, you know, and why companies sh you know should be doing this because it eventually just helps with the uh, the survival of a, of a company. And so it's interesting that you mentioned that just because it's a part of our daily conversation, a great place yeah, to work. And what I what, so let me tell you what I'm. What I'm looking to do is, it is what I'm doing with this book is really introducing an entirely new innovation model uh, that hasn't been presented in this way before, or, or, or really talked about in this way, and it, which is that diversity inclusion is at the center of this. So s many ways that we talk about innovation or think about innovation, it, it becomes very technical. It's like a technocratic type of thing. It's there's a stage gate process and you do step A, then step B, then step C. Uh, or it's more strategic. It's, uh, it's a disruptive innovation. So what you think of, you should think about is what's your next strategy around that. It really involves uh, a fairly small number of people. It might, it might be the, an innovation team, an R&D team, or it might be the strategy team that's sort of digging into these things. What I'm talking about is how do you involve everyone? in this. And if you're looking to create diverse and inclusive teams, by definition, that is what you have to do. And in my mind, the business case itself becomes ir essentially irrelevant once the results starts coming in, once it becomes obvious to executives 
that this is how it plays. We have had so many clients over the years where we can see this play. I'm, I'm going to mention some at the keynote later today, but you know, Disney, ESPN, when you're when when executives have caught on to that this works, and they developed an intuition that it works, it impacts their behavior, and they don't need the business case per se anymore mm -hmm. because their decisions come from a completely different place. Well, the, the business case that I'm mentioning is always the very first step of the conversation. It is. Yeah. No, it is. Yeah. And I, I and it's a critical step. My, in fact, the, the Medici effect is, is essentially a business case. But now, I, and I'm, I'm excited about looking how we can collaborate on this because I would like to take this and supercharge it into area and domain after domain that goes beyond it, like to actual change, to actual sort of worldwide difference making. I look forward to that. I'm also looking forward to your keynote later today, which the podcast listeners will be able to find uh, the video of on our website. Can you give us a little bit of a preview? Since, <laughs> since the podcast listeners might well, not Well, here's what I can say. Uh, that uh, I put together something quite special. Th this is a completely unique keynote. There'll be material in here that others have seen, but I've not, have not put it together this way. Uh, before I'll leave it at that. It'll be a surprise. Okay. It'll be a it'll be a full, full throttle ride. I love a good, for a good surprise. Thirty minutes. <laughs> well, I'm going to be on stage right before you, so <laughs> I'll try to warm you up uh, pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. I look forward to that. All right. Thank, thank you, you. Franz. This has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you to join Better. Thank you, Chris. It's great. You've been listening to Better by Great Place to Work the podcast that helps everyone create better workplaces because it's better for people, better for business, and better for the world. Better is generously sponsored by Genentech, a global leader in biotech and medicine that ranks among the world's best employers. Tell us about your great workplace experiences by finding us on social media. We can be reached on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram at greatplacetowork underscore US. Also tell your friends about Better by Great Place to Work, which can be found wherever you download your favorite podcasts.